0: So we would love to uh, just go to the Lord in prayer. So let's do that. Just wherever you are seated, just just bow with me as a time of prayer. And as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to pray for you today. Especially if you are somehow, some way uh, connected with um, with school. If you are going back to school this week, or maybe you just started back recently, or maybe you're an educator, uh, a principal, assistant principal, a teacher. If you would, would you just stand to your feet just for a moment? Would you just stand? Let me pray for you as people all over the sanctuary are standing because somehow you're a student or you're a teacher, somehow, some way uh, in the profession of teaching others. So God bless you as you stand. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for these that are standing today. And Lord, we just pray for them a blessing. Um, just a prayer that, God, you would anoint them and bless them as they make their way back to school, whether it's college, university, public school, private school, uh, home school, Christian school, wh- whatever it is, Lord, they're heading back to. I pray that you would protect them and bless them and use them, Lord, powerfully to learn. As we sang a moment ago, God, may that be true in their lives, that we will serve the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our minds, with our minds and all of our strength. And Lord, as we pray for protection, just a barrier of protection around our place here as a church, we pray the same for our schools especially, Lord, our public schools, that you would protect, Lord, just barricade any kind of of evil, that it may not be able to penetrate the walls of those schools, that you would protect them. Bless those teachers, God, as they pour into students. Bless them, help them not to become weary and well-doing. Bless these administrators, but especially bless these students. We pray for them. And now, Lord, thank you again. Thank you for this corporate time of prayer that we can enter into the presence of God. We can talk to you. Lord, one of our core values as a church is we want to pray. We want to pray often, Lord, not only publicly, but also uh, privately in our small groups, in our family groups, in our devotional times. And so, Lord, we recognize as we pray that, God, you are all sufficient. We don't have all the answers. Lord, there's so much we don't know, but we know that you know. And we also know, Lord, that you are a loving God, a compassionate God who cares for those that he created. And so, Lord, today, as we enter into this sacred time of opening this text and preaching this marvelous book, God, the Holy Scriptures, oh, Holy Spirit, who wrote it, who inspired these biblical writers, would you so illuminate our minds that we might be able to grasp, Lord, mentally, cognitively, theologically, theoretically, all that's important but, Lord, also practically. And what you would say to us today, Lord, may we go and actuate it, God. Put it into action. Empower us, God, to receive and then go, Lord, be your people in this this city. Pray for the one, God, that one person that is here today that needs a special touch from you, that you'd bless them and then help us all, Lord, to go and look for our ones, those people that you can put in our path that we can love on and witness to, befriend, help, feed. Give something to drink, encourage them. We love you, Lord, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in um, Luke chapter 6 today is our text. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me or have your iPhone or iPad or whatever it is you're holding there. And uh, Luke chapter 6 is our text. We're in a series of sermons here at Great Hills. Uh, We've been preaching this since February, and I know we've got a few more uh, messages that we're going to look at. And it's entitled, For the One. And the real emphasis, the focus of these series of messages, well, it's twofold, really. It's number one, to learn more about Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ is the founder of this living organism, this movement called the church. And so it, it behooves us as his people to go back to his biographies, to go to the life stories of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And so that's what we've been doing for many months now, is we've been studying the life of Christ. So cognitively and theologically and and we, we want to learn orthodoxy and we want to learn doctrine and history and theology. Man, that's also important. But we also want to move beyond that and say God, how does that impact me today? Lord, how does the living Word of God, how does it in, ingrained in me, what does it look like fleshed out in my life? And so Jesus was all about doing the Father's will And it was all about helping people. And so if we're going to be his followers, then we're going to have to be about those very things, following after the Father's will. And you say, well, what is the Father's will? Well, he tells us in his word. Look at Jesus. Look at his life, the way he lived his life, what he said, what he did, what he thought, how he prayed, how he loved people. And so that's what we're doing at Great Hills. And for these months, we're just saying, for the one. God, who is the one? that you will put in our path this week that I can encourage, I can talk to, I can invite to Great Hills. And I have to tell you again and again, over and over, thank you, thank you, a million times over, thank you for the ways that you guys are putting this into practice. This is not just theory to you. This has become uh, a part of our, uh, really our DNA as a church that we are very sensitive now to those people that God puts in our path in Austin or wherever we may be so that we could say, you know, this is not an accident. I am living life on purpose, living life on mission, and how can I help this person, whatever their need is, especially their spiritual need? So Jesus was all about that. And so today, we're gonna look at the way he went to church, he went to the synagogue, the meeting place of the Jews, and there you have it. You have the setting, you have the church service, you have the Savior who is doing the teaching, he will also be doing the preaching and the healing, all right, and then you will also have the, the people that are in the crowd, and you have all types of people in the crowd. You always have these types of people in the crowd. You have the Savior who is present to heal and to save and to help. You have people who are hurting. They're broken emotionally, financially. They're broken in their marriages. They're broken individually. And so what, what we want to do is we want to see those two connected. We want to see Jesus Christ and in his spirit and how powerful and awesome he is. We want to see him connect with those who are hurting, and that's you today. And whatever your hurt is, whatever your pain is, and we want God to ameliorate it. We want him to improve it. And for some of you, we just want God to do some supernatural things in your life. You say, but wait a minute. Can God really do that? I mean, I just just thought that was yesteryear. I just thought that was in the past. Can God really do... Those things today, can God heal? Can God really save marriages? Can God do all of those miraculous, supernatural, astounding things in the Bible days and history days? Can God do that today? And he can, and we're praying that he would do that in your life today. So Jesus Christ, here he goes. In Luke chapter six, verse six, it says, now it happened on another Sabbath, okay? This was his custom. Christ would go to church on that Sabbath, that Saturday, And then he would enter into the synagogue, the meeting place of the Jews, and he would teach them, right? And there was a man there whose right hand was zeros. This is the Greek word. It means arid, dry, scorched. It also has the the, the ideal of atrophy, and it also has this ideal of paralysis. You can imagine, and Luke, the good doctor that he is who wrote this, he didn't say it was just a hand. He said it was his right hand predominantly most people are right-handed. So what does that mean? That means that this man has come to church that day and he has a very palpable, conspicuous need. He has a hand. If you can look at my hand, it's all shriveled up, all right? And he's coming there and maybe he's a little embarrassed about it. Maybe he has it behind his back. Maybe he has it underneath his, you know, his, his, uh, what they wear back then? Robes, amen, had it under his robe. I don't know, but he's in church and, and commend him for that. We're going to talk about this in just a moment, that he went to church with a great need, and his great need did not keep him from being with God and God's people. I find that very, very encouraging. Now, there they are. They're always there. The scribes and the Pharisees, they watched. And that's an interesting little verb there. It's in the imperfect tense in the Greek, and that's continual action in pastime. They didn't just glance at Jesus. They were analyzing him scrutinizing him. They're watching uh, him very closely, all right, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an categoria is the Greek word. It's translated accusation. It's where we get our English word category. They were looking for somehow he might break out of their categories, their, their solid columns of doctrine and tradition, and they're looking to see if Jesus will deviate in any way out of their category for him. And if he does, lo and behold, they're going to make him pay the price. So they are against him. But Jesus knew their dialogos, their thoughts. That's where we get the English word, a dialogue. Dialogos, their thoughts, is their internal dialogue that they're having in their minds. They are dialoguing in their minds, and they are thinking, how can we trap Jesus Christ? He's such a threat. He's such a radical. He's such an individual that if he, if he keeps on doing what he's doing, they're going, he's going to put us out of business. And we are the religious leaders of the day. He is not. And so how can we catch him? How can we trap him So let's keep scrutinizing him so that as soon as he slips up and falls, we will be there to pounce on him, eradicate it. I tell you, some religious people are really mean. And they were mean. They were analyzing Jesus, dialoguing in their minds, but Jesus, being the Son of God, read their minds. He read their minds, and he said to the man who has the shriveled hand, the withered hand, he says, Arise and stand here. And I love this. He arose and he stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? Now now watch this, this parallelism here. Look at the way he equates good with save life and evil with destroying life. You catch that? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good and save life or to do evil and destroy life? And when he had looked around, come now, I don't know how long he did this, but I'm just wondering in his mind, if Jesus just didn't, he just looked looked at the people. Does this make you uncomfortable? Good, it should. They were uncomfortable. They, they, were feeling, they were feeling the gaze of God because Jesus Christ knows what they're dialoguing with. He knows what's about to go down. And by the way, you can read this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three of the synoptic writers, they record this story. We're just reading Luke's version. We're going to read a moment in a moment a little bit of Matthew's version. But when he looked around at them all, at them all, I'm, I really think especially that plural antecedent would refer to the scribes. And the Pharisees, those who were in church that day to accuse him, uh, to try to find some fault with him. He looked around at them all and he said to the man who's standing in the midst of the synagogue, you, sir, stretch out your hand. And he did so, right? And his hand, all shriveled and arid and dry and paralyzed and atrophied, it was restored as whole as the other hand. Now, at this point, point, let's leave verse 11 up there for a moment, you would think that there would be some holy jubilation. There would be just some shouting and praising God for the supernatural intervention of God in this man's life. A miracle has transpired. I imagine this man was just so elated, a sense of euphoria. I imagine the disciples and I imagine other people in the synagogue that day were going, wow, this is absolutely Amazing, but the religious people were so filled with annoyah. It reminds me of our English word, to be annoyed, rage, not just a mild irritation in their spirits, but they were so enraged and so angry and so upset that they've immediately discussed with one another what we could do to Jesus. So this is our story today as we're preaching through these messages on For the One. I do pray as we, as we look at it today, it becomes more than an academic exercise as we study. I do want you to study. I do want you to know and understand. You can look at your app there on your phone. You can look in the bulletin. You have your outlines. And so at this moment, as we engage in the text and read it and study it, I love that. And then in a few moments, I'm just gonna walk us through some very simple, you know, just some practical things. Some very pragmatic ways that by the Holy Spirit's help, we can you know, put these into practice in how it would impact the way we live our, our lives. So first of all is the setting. You have a man who is in great need. Verse 6 says Jesus goes to the synagogue, and he he's in the synagogue. He is there, and he is teaching. And this man comes in with this withered hand. And the people are watching him closely, especially... Uh, the scrutiny, that, I mean, the gaze of the scribes and the Pharisees. This is the setting. This is the sits in Laban. This is the situation in life. It's on a Sabbath. Jesus is there. A hurting person is there. The congregation is there. And so are the antagonists. They are there. They wanted to find this accusation. They, they, they wanted to find some way, somehow, that they might accuse christ i like way one writer puts it g campbell morgan he says the rulers quote they did not know god and since they did not know god and when men do not know god they are always interested in trivialities in trivialities what is triviality that's a big fancy word for it. it don't matter it just doesn't matter they're interested in a triviality And so when men know God, then they know that the passion of his heart is ever full of understanding and mercy. And so we're looking at the setting, verses 6, 7, and in verse 8, as we shared a moment ago, he was reading their minds. And this is interesting to me because in Luke's gospel, earlier on, in 2.35, he tells us what Simeon the prophet said would happen to this Christ child... He says, yes, a sword will pierce through your soul, Mary, and the thoughts of many hearts are going to be revealed. Is that not amazing? It it doesn't amaze you that even now, right here, right now, that God is reading your mind. God is reading your mind. He's reading your intents, your thoughts, and whether they're good thoughts or bad thoughts, God, He already knows and He is if you're here today and you've got a harsh spirit, a polemical spirit that you want to accuse, maybe you want to find me out and say, well, you're doing this wrong, or you should be doing that, or I don't like this, or I don't like that. And be careful because God sees, God just takes your thoughts and He just plasters upon heaven and He just reads them all that, that easy. Or maybe you're here today, He's reading your mind and you're going, oh, I'm so hurt, I'm so desperate, I need a touch from this great God. And God is drawing you to Himself. And God reads our, our minds and he read their minds that day in the synagogue. So I just got to ask you, why why, you know, why why, are we here? Why, why are you here today? The setting is church, synagogue, ecclesiology. Some today may come with a critical spirit. You said, I can't help it. I was born in the negative mood. That's just who I am. I, I, just, I just criticize. I can't, I can't help it. But you can help, and God can help you. Or maybe you're here today because it's just habit. That's what you do. It's Sunday morning. You go to Great Hills. You check that off. You may give a little money. You may decide to serve. And then you just compartmentalize your religion and just go on and live, live your life. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, no, no, no. I, I really need God. I, I tell you, I'm, I'm not all I need to be. That man's hand may have been shriveled, but my heart is shriveled. That man's hand might be atrophied, but my marriage is, is atrophied. And what I'm hearing you say up there, preacher, is you're saying this awesome God that we talk about and we preach about, if that same God has power, he has this power and authority and ability that he might be able to help me. And I'm saying, yes, he can help you. And I know he can. I- I've seen him heal. I've seen him help. I've seen him save. I've seen him intervene. So why-, why are you here today? Well, the setting is we're in church. But the Savior, number two, he's all about helping those who have, have, they have the need. In verse 9, he uses an object lesson for those in attendance that day, and the object lesson happens to be the man with the atrophied or, or hurt hand. You know, James four seventeen says, if we know to do the right thing and we don't do it, it is sin. And Jesus has the power to help this man and heal him. And so if Jesus decides not to help this man even though the father has commanded him and given him this commission to go and help and heal and preach and teach and and the hurting, if Jesus decides, no, I cannot do this because these people will be upset with me. I know I'm going to get in hot water if I do this. So I'd rather not do it and not enter into this confrontational realm. So if Jesus were to do that, then he would be in sin. You see, but he's not going to be in sin. He's going to do the right thing. He's going to do the hard thing. And so Jesus Christ has this man stand up in the presence of them all so that he can perform his miracle. Mark 3, 3 says that after Jesus asked the question, they all kept silent. Is it good and right to do good on the Sabbath day? Or is it Or or should we do evil and wrong on the Sabbath day? And so Jesus is questioning them. He's putting them to the test. One writer puts it this way. He says, against these Pharisees and scribes, Jesus refuses to represent Sabbath observance as a litmus test for faithfulness to God. More fundamental for him is God's purpose. God's design is to save. A purpose that is embodied in the very Sabbath itself. Now, Matthew chapter 12, I'll read this for you as you get another another flavor of of what is going on. The the gospel writers, they are interpreting it in, in their own way, and they're writing under the influence of the Spirit. And there's a little variance. There's little difference because they're different people, different personalities. But here's Matthew's take on it. Then he said to them, What man is there among you? By the way, same setting, same identical setting. And and, and so Luke just tells us a little bit, Matthew tells us a little bit more. What man is there among you who has one sheep and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value? Now this man is standing there with the shriveled hand, right? Jesus says, and how much more value is this guy? Here's a man created in the image of God He has far more value than an animal, than a plant, than a sheep, than any other thing created by God. This guy, this man created in my image, therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees, remember, it's the same story. The Pharisees went out and plotted against him. But look at, look at Matthew's take on this. Not that just that they're reasoning in their minds what they're going to do with Jesus. No, they are determining how they might destroy him. It's fascinating to me in this context that Jesus, in verse 10, commanded this man to do what was literally impossible. Jesus says, stretch out that hand. And the guy's probably going, uh, excuse me, sir, this, this hand ain't happening. <laughs> his hand ain't been stretched out, and we don't know how long. And we don't know how this hand became the way. Maybe it was congenital. Maybe he was born this way. Or maybe he, he uh, you know, maybe, maybe an ox or something stepped on it. Or maybe a horse bit it. I, I don't know. But whatever it is, his, his hand is in a bad way. And yet Jesus Christ says, sir, stretch it out. He's already standing up and he's probably going, oh my word, everybody in here is watching me and now he wants me to do the unthinkable, the impossible. And Jesus says, he says, you just start stretching and then I'll just do what I can do. Isn't that cool? That's the way God works. God says, you just do what you do. Do what you can and then watch what what I will do. And he did so. And then verse 11, they were so upset, so angry. Over what have you say? Well, how, how how does that happen? How can people be so far from God that even though they're in church, they could miss God? I mean, God is standing there in the midst. Well, here's the thing: the Sabbath was sacred to the Jews. On the Sabbath day, they had so many laws and requirements, regulations and stipulations, ramifications of the law. Of those laws, 680-something additional laws, and a lot of them had to do with the observ- Sabbath observance. I mean, you could pick up a stick, but only a few ounces, all right? You could only do certain things on the Sabbath. They were so rigid, and they, they were so determined. Here's the thing. They were saying, we're doing you a favor, God, because we're adding to what you told us to do, and we're going to please you, and those that don't please you, we're going to let them have it. We will be God's gestapo. We will be God's police. And when those scoundrels... Look, we're going to zap them, Lord. We're going to get them, Lord. And and that's a lot of what people think of religion in America. They think that religion in America is a bunch of rules, a bunch of prohibitions, do's and don'ts. And the clergy, the people up there teaching, that's their job to help, to help train all of us so that when somebody steps outside the lines, we can, we can jump on them and we can rebuke them and just be real harsh to them. That was the religion of first century hyper-Pharisaism and Judaism. It had gotten to that point. So you can imagine, here comes Jesus. My, my, my. And he's just breaking all the rules. He's, pick, he's, he's healing people on the Sabbath. He's He's letting his disciples go and eat bread out of the, out of the, out of the temple. He's doing all these things, and, and he's there to help. He's there, he's there to, to minister and to disrupt. And, men, they just, they just can't handle it because they have gotten God exactly where they want God to be. He's in a little box. And if God himself were to step outside that box, then they would take it upon themselves to rebuke God. That's serious. That's serious. So what I want to do at closing of my message, I want to look at just four or five just principles that we can take from the text. And I do hope, and I, this is always my, my earnest desire, I, I love to study God's Word, and I love to immerse myself in this text and all of these, this manuscript that I've written and all these notes and all this, this Greek and all these things. And I, I enjoy that. I know I'm a little weird, you know, but in that way, a little... Uh, not weird, eccentric, you know, in that way, and I, I enjoy that, but it's all for naught if our minds are filled with biblical knowledge, but it has no implication for our heart. So how can this make a difference in our lives? So Let me share some things with you. Number one, let's worship God while we wait on God. I'm still so amazed at that guy. He showed up to church that day. He went to worship God even though He had a tremendous need. I'm sure he had prayed many times for God to take this away and heal my hand. And 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 I'm sure that uh, he had some you know, maybe even some hopeful thoughts on this particular Sabbath that maybe God would do, something special in his life, but maybe God wouldn't. And so he's having this debate. He's having this dioligmos in his mind, this internal discussion. And yet in the midst of all of that, he decides still to go to church and worship God, even though he's waiting on God to do something magnificent in his life. Hey, listen, if the only time you come to God in church is everything is rosy, we're going to have about three people here every Sunday. I think the reality of life is life is hard, and, and life is difficult, and yet in the midst of that difficulty, in the midst of that pain, everybody in here, I, I guarantee you, I could ask every single person, stand up, and you would, you would say something like, well, I'm concerned about this, or I'm worried. I know I shouldn't be worried, Pastor, but I'm worried about this. My health is not good here. My, my grandson is doing some crazy things here, or I'm not so sure about my job here. And we got all these needs, and if we wait... If we wait and say, well, I'm not going to give God a chance until God answers all of my prayers, then you'll never come, but come as you are. Come today like this man with the shriveled hand, and we enter into the presence of God. We put ourselves in a position to be blessed by God. I think it was Woody Allen, not a Woody Allen fan, but I sure like this quote. 80% of success is showing up. (laughs) I want you to chew on that throughout this week. Think about that. I don't particularly feel like getting up and going to church or going to work today. I really don't want to go to school today. Geometry. Who created Euclidean geometry? What was on that person's mind? I just don't think I'm going to do that today. And if you, you, can't, you can't do that. You have to say, no, I'm going to walk into it. I'm going to show up. It's amazing when we show up how God shows up. Second thing I want to share with you is impossibilities. This is probably my favorite of the five. Impossibilities become possibilities through Christ. It's impossible for this man's hand to be restored as fresh and vital as his left hand. It's absolutely impossible. Do y'all see this? This is impossible. This hand is in a bad way. This hand is in a good way. How can this hand mimic this hand? It's impossible with man. But when God enters into the X, Y, Z equation, then things begin to happen. And Jesus says, he speaks to the man, stand up. He spoke up. You, you don't see any debating with this man. He, he said, stand. He stood. Stretch out your hand. He stretched out his hand. Be healed. He's healed. Woo-hoo! It's, 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 it's going on with him and this man. And so he's, this impossibility becomes possible. Now I have some scriptures I want you to think with me this week. Think with me even this week. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus said, with men... This is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me produces much fruit, for without me, anybody, you can do nothing. Yet Philippians 4, 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I see this. I see this often as a pastor in the city when people, even though they're hurting, or even though it looks dismal and dark, God invades the realm of their impossible. And He brings light to darkness. He brings salt to tastelessness. He brings hope to despair. And just this week, I saw God do this, and I want to share some of this with you, okay? I'm in the hospital on Wednesday, and I'm visiting visiting people from our church, who are in the hospital. And there's one situation, and you may be watching on television today, I mean, on the internet today. There's a situation up in Georgetown that some of our church members, it looks really, really bleak. And as I show up to that situation the last couple of weeks and I'm, and I'm praying and I'm speaking into it, there is severe difficulty going on. And yet in the midst of that, I'm watching, uh, I'm watching a son drive up from Dallas come be with a mom. And I'm watching a mom draw strength from a son, and I'm watching them combine together and praying over a husband and over a dad, and I'm watching this mom affirm the son, and I'm watching the son's eyes light up with joy and with hope, all in the scenario of a very dark and difficult situation. Let me give you another scene. Another scene. I'm going to mention their names I didn't ask for permission, but Brenda can always forgive me. I know she can. I'm going to this hospital, and Don Bowman has been in the hospital for weeks now. I think he's about three weeks. He's a very, very difficult way. And I go into this hospital room, and I'm, and I'm talking to Don a little bit, and he's, he's looking at me, and I'm talking to Brenda. Brenda has not left his side. She has, Every time I've been there, she has been right there. You ever slept on one of those hospital beds? Uh-huh. I'm not fun. Very uncomfortable. And there she is on that side. And I'm in this, this room and, and there's hurt and there's pain and there's, there's, there's difficulty. And I'm watching Don as I'm talking to Brenda <laughs> and the look that he has, his gaze upon his wife was priceless. It was this look of Honey, you hung the moon. I love you so. And, and she didn't see it because she's talking to me, and I'm so ADD. I see everything, right? I see everything. I watch everything. And I'm watching him as he's looking at her, and there's this miraculous moment of God saying to me, Marriage is a wonderful thing. And then the last one. Uh. Oh, sure. yeah. I, I say these things because I, I, I want you to hear my heart that when it looks the darkest and when it looks the most impossible, God can do things that we have no idea that He's doing. He can bring a mom and a son together. He can bring together a, um, a wife and a husband in a way maybe that they, they've never, never been that way before. Can I share one more with you? Y'all good? You got time? Okay, good. Help y'all just a second. Sure, Pastor, that's a great idea. You just go right ahead and tell us what you want to tell us. So so I'm in another hospital situation, and there's Ray, and he's, um, he's, he's, he's had these stroke symptoms, and he's laying flat on his bed. I walk into the room, and then a guy is standing up, and he's walking out. He's another Gideon you know anything about Gideon's they love the Bible all right and this guy stands and he prays this powerful prayer over Ray and he leaves the room and about that time a nurse comes into the room and there Ray is laying on the on the on the bed he's got this MRI going down he does not know what the situation's going to be he has no idea what the damage could possibly be and yet he's got this amazing peace on his face and on his life and this nurse walks in and this guy Starts affirming this nurse and telling me as a pastor, Pastor, she is such an amazing nurse. Before I leave this hospital, I'm going to recommend that she gets a raise. I'm like, who are you? What is going on here? You're supposed to be in an impossible, difficult situation, and you're quoting Scripture, you're praising God, and it's like the Holy Spirit's like, "Well, what are you going to say? And I was like, i got to say something. So I start talking to her. I said, ma'am, here's a verse of Scripture I want to share with you, and this is what happened, church, I promise you. I said, ma'am, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. Now, here's the thing. She, she's standing by her apparatus, by her machine, and she's looking at me like, and I can see it in her mind. I see her, her great mind as a nurse, I see her great compassionate heart as a nurse, and I see her processing. God, who is this guy? What's he talking about? God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but I said, He's given us power, love, and a sound mind. And then I saw it. I look back at Ray as he's laying on the bed, and he's beaming. He's got this joy about him, and I'm thinking, God, this is amazing. God, it seems like you do your best work when it looks the bleakest. It looks the most impossible, and yet God specializes in the impossible. I could go on and on, but let let me move on. Number three. I learned from the story, let us be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem, okay? Uh, the, the solution would be healing and helping this man who's hurt. The problem would be religious people getting all discontorted and bent out of shape because things are looking a little bit differently than the way they had created it in their mind. And they don't care if it's, if it's God himself. They're going to criticize God because this looks different. And Jesus is like, yes, this is different, but I have the authority to be different. This man is going to be healed. So I say this to all of us, be careful because in a situation, whatever, in a marriage, in a church, in a business, in a school, in a team, whatever the dynamic is, you will either be a part of the solution or you will be a part of the problem. Be a part of the solution. Number four, confront man-made traditions that are unbiblical confront man-made, notice I said, traditions that are unbiblical, and Jesus did. Remember what Jesus said? He says, let me just ask you all a question, and he stares them down. He said, "Your, your tradition would say to me that I am not supposed to heal him. Your tradition would say to me, it's okay if I get a sheep out of the ditch, help me, but it's not okay for me to heal. Come on, people, you got this backwards. I mean, I, I should be readily uh, open to healing this man, helping this man, even though it's going to color outside your box and your parameters. And so as, as children of God, as people of God today, I think it's imperative that we today as people of God, when we bump up against man-made traditions that keep people from God instead of introducing people to God, we need to confront those head on. Okay, that's, that's all I want to say about that. The last thing I want to say is this. Let's keep in mind our mission. Our mission is Jesus' mission, and His mission, dictated to Him from the Father, is always be ready for the one who needs us. Now, when we help somebody, it may cause, it may cause some problems with some religious people who get bent out of shape because we're doing things a little bit differently. But what what I really want to get to, though, is who is it this week that God would lead into your path? I believe this past week it was those people that I shared with you a minute ago. Especially that nurse, as God gave us opportunity to minister to her, share Christ with her. I was stopped at the gas station um, two days ago, and a guy pulled up beside me. And I learned this from a friend of mine in Arkansas. He said, when you go to the gas station, and you're pumping gas, and somebody's on the other side, talk to them. I was like, what? I don't know about that and so I'm standing pumping gas and I see this guy and he looks at me and I look at him And I say it sure is hot. He says man. Is it hot? So we started a conversation Next thing, you know, he's pumping gas and i'm talking about great hills baptist church He's pumping gas and i'm talking about how awesome it is to know jesus He's pumping gas and he gets out of there and i'm just kidding. He, he doesn't he didn't get out that fast But it was a cool cool thing. It was just one of those moments of Here I am god. I'm I, I think i'm here to get gas but I wonder if I'm here to talk to this guy and share. And he said, hey, I just might come to your church. My wife and I live pretty close to Great Hills Baptist Church. And I thought, man, that's, that's really cool. So who is our one? Who is your one this week? Okay, let, let me share this one last thing. That I hope this encourages you like it did me. Okay, so Casey, Casey Draper, uh, New Tuba, Tuba, New Mexico. Stay with me. Casey Draper, Tuba, New Mexico, December. He has all these toys. He's got so many toys, he doesn't know what to do with the toys. True story. The mom comes and says, Casey, you're my son, and we have blessed you enormously through Christmas's past, birthday's past. Look at all of these toys. Here's I got an idea for you. It's the 1st of December. Take these toys. I will help you. And she probably had an ulterior motive, right? Let's get rid of some of these toys. Hey, here, let's take these toys. Let's take them to a thrift shop and let's sell the toys and give you the money so that you can get bigger toys. And he's going, hmm, kind of liking this. And the mom's like, yes, good idea. Isn't that a good idea? He goes, well, mom, why don't we do this? Why don't we take the toys, sell the toys, and why don't we give other toys to people in our family that may not get a toy? And she goes, well, my land Casey, that's just absolutely amazing. And then a little bit later in the week, he watches a commercial on TV called Toys for Tots for Navajo Indian children who will not get a Christmas gift all Christmas long because they are just very indigent and very poor. So Casey, he watches this commercial, and he goes, Mom, I got a better idea. Here's what I think we ought to do. Let's take the toys. Let's go down to the thrift shop. And they did, took all of his toys, got, I remembered it, $179.50 worth the money from those toys. He takes that money and he gives all $179 plus to Toys for Tots for the Navajo Indian children so that they could have a Christmas. Casey Draper is four years old. Four years old. All the dialogue, all the processing. And here's my point. If he can do that at four years of age, what in the world? Could good we could do this week for the one, for the man with the shriveled hand, with the lady with a broken marriage, with the teenager who's contemplating suicide, with a co-worker who is, we just know it, everybody knows it, that he's devastated, he's crushed. How can God use us to step in? Maybe a little unconventional, maybe a little controversial. It may be that people might not quite understand our motives, but what is it that God wants us to step into the arena and help the hurt, watch this, last thing, and be a part of the solution and not perpetuate the problem? So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thank you, Great Hills. I love you. You're such an awesome church. You, you listen so incredibly well. And I, again, I, I want you to listen, and I'm grateful, grateful, grateful that you're listening. But oh, please, please. What, what a travesty it would be if we all left and said, oh, thank you for the message, and you no. Know, who is it? Who is it that God would guide our steps to this week so that we could make a difference in their lives? You, you may be here today, and you are that person. You would say, well, Pastor, I, I am she. <laughs> I am he. And I don't have a shriveled hand, but I do have an atrophied, hurting heart, and I need I know that I need God today, and and I'm so glad you're here, friend. I hope that what you're experiencing here today are not pharisaical, scribal stones being hurled at you. No, like last week, our our mandate, our model is we don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. Sin wants to devastate you, and Jesus wants to restore you. So maybe you're here today. You would say, I I need Christ in my life. What do I need to do? So your step would look like this. You would step into the loving arms of God. You would walk away from a devastation, a lifestyle that is hurting you and hurting others around you, and you would lean into Jesus Christ and ask for His salvation and for His help. Would you do that? Would you do that even now? You say, well, I need some help with that. Again, what I said earlier, here at Great Hills, we will stand in a moment, and we will stand for you, and we will invite you to come. Let somebody pray for you. Let somebody share that that heavy burden with you some of you are here today and your 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 step is to do what those precious souls did these three this morning as they stepped into the water and they got baptized biblically and it was a huge step for them in their spiritual walk with God and I told them and I will tell you I may not be the person that baptizes you but here's the most important thing God will bless you God blesses obedience stand he stood reach out your hand he reached out his hand and go to the baptistry be baptized do it watch watch what God does in your life you need help with that let us let us help you finally you may, you may be here today and you're like well brother Dan, I just want to be honest with you I know so much on a theological cognitive level I have a PhD in knowledge of Christianity But I'm operating on a kindergartner level with obedience and practicality. Let us help you, friend. Let us encourage you. Let us us guide you off of the sidelines and onto the playing field. And for you, it could be coming to our Discover Great Hills class. And what a great class that is. And we'll start it up again the 1st of September. And listen and learn and take the evaluation. Take the spiritual inventory test and see how God has gifted you and then put it into practice let's do this, guys. Let's, let's, do, let's all take a step. Let's all take a step closer to God today. What, some of you say, Brother Danny, it's a baby, baby step. It's a teeny, teeny, bitty, bitty step. That's okay, as long as you step toward God today. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this message today, that, Lord, you have stepped into our lives, and you have stepped into our world, and you've healed us, and you've helped us And, Lord, we pray that you would keep healing and helping people even right now. And I'm praying, Lord, that whoever this person is today, they they may have come simply to watch their friend get baptized, and they had no idea that God Almighty was going to so powerfully speak to them and draw them closer to Him. Lord, thank you for doing that. Thank you for, as C.S. Lewis says, you surprise us by joy. And I pray that we would... Walk toward the light. Lord, not run from it. I pray that there would be salvation, there would be rededication, there would be commitment of life today to you, Jesus. For you are worthy and we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet and we'll have our invitation at this time. God bless you as you stand. You may just want to come to the altar. You you just take somebody by the hand and say, pray with me. And, or you're taking that step and you say, I just, I just need a word from God. I need encouragement that I'm doing the right thing but we're here for you we're prepared for you we've been waiting on you we've been praying for you so God bless you now as you come